In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So guys, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I just want to review last time what we talked about. We saw that David the prophet, since he became a king, he has been walking with God. He has been following his commandments. He even started, God reminded him of some of the old promises that he made to God that he never fulfilled. He started to seek the relative of Jonathan to show kindness and mercy to them. And he started living according to what God wants him to do. Now, all of a sudden, without any introductions, without any introductions, we see a giant like David the prophet at some of the greatest time of his life falling into the worst sins of his life. And that makes us to be careful because sometimes when we live with God and come to church and follow our spiritual canons and all that stuff, if I put my guard down, I could fall at any moment. The other thing that also we saw David did, David, there was a war that he was supposed to go to and he decided to stay at home. And to be honest with you, most of the sins we commit is because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. If I'm doing what I need to do, I won't have time to commit the sin. But a lot of times it's because I'm not doing the, the will of God, the calling of God, so I end up sinning and falling into sin. When God created me, he created me for a purpose, for a plan, every day. There is no day that is outside the plan of God. And that day David had a task. God told him to go to war. This is his main task as a king. But he said, you know what? I do this all the time. I've been to many wars. I won many victories. I have attended many services. I have, you know, I serve every Friday. I've served every Saturday. Oh, what's the big deal if I miss one time? What's the big deal? I, I'm not needed. You know, Joab can go and win the battle. Yes, Joab is going to go win the battle. The battle doesn't need you. But God called you for it to protect you to help you so David started his fall by making a small decision he said I will not go to service today I will not go to liturgy today small decision and then you start seeing a lot of decisions came up also we saw last time that Uriah basically if you guys remember the sin that David was walking on the roof of his palace he saw the beautiful lady Bathsheba bathing he took her in she became pregnant he brought in her husband to come he was trying to arrange for her and her husband to sleep so that he can say that this child belongs to her husband obviously Uriah when he came Uriah was a really good man a good soldier for the army and he said no way I'm going to go rest and sleep with my wife while the army of God is fighting. I have a calling to do. You cannot live in, a, in pleasure while there is warfare. You know, for example, sometimes yani, it drives me kida, yani, astonished when I hear Muslim people go on vacation for a week or four or five days and they don't read the Bible once. And they don't pray. 
You have all the time in the world. And it's not only when young people go, even with their families, with their parents. They go on vacation and they just do whatever they want to do. When you turn into a luxurious lifestyle, you start slowly by slowly losing the zeal of the spirit. Luxury kills the spirit. That's why our Lord lived a life of poverty. So, they, so Uriah, he decided to, to mean as a soldier. I am a soldier of God. I will live under being a soldier all the days of our life. So David failed to send him to his wife. He tried to make him drunk. He couldn't get him. He got drunk, but he couldn't make him also go to his wife. So David had only one option left, is to kill him. So now we're going to start from chapter 9, verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at the evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. David failed at getting him drunk. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab. Joab is the head of the army. And sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Sit Uriah in the forefront of the hardest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So what did David do? David said, you know what? I need to get rid of Uriah. He wouldn't kill him with his own hands, because, you know, like sometimes when you want to you wanna commit a sin, you still want to feel good about yourself. So you say, let me have somebody else commit the sin. He used his own power and his own authority to plan the, the death of Uriah. And what's astonishing is that he, he knew that Uriah wouldn't open the letter. You see how much he trusted in the faithfulness in Uriah? Like this is a good man. You've lost a good man from your army because, not only because he sent but because he did not even repent. When David fell, <coughs> he didn't even consider repentance at all. Now, think about it this way. Now, when he sends this letter to Joab, he's putting Joab in a very difficult situation. Now, Joab has to decide between his loyalty to the king and his conscience. Should I set up Uriah to die as a leader of the army? Or should, I stay, or should I stay loyal to the king? Tough. Sin makes us, sin makes us put other people in a very difficult situation. Somebody will come and be like, Abuna, can you sign this paper for me? And this paper, they're going to mess and present it to the government. And it has false information. We can't participate in that. Some people are cheating and they want to drag you into it. You can't participate in that. 
some people are acting in an appropriate way, and they could be from the church. All the people that fell from the church fell by people from the church. So Joab, he decided to be loyal to the king. Now, not only Uriah died, but also other good men died. All of this because David wanted to cover for his sin. You know, guys, what's, uh, what's really interesting? The situation that David tried to hide is probably one of the most known situations about David. The sin that he tried to hide became the most exposed one in his life. And later on, when God spoke to other kings, he'd be like, I want you to be like David, my servant, except for the sin when he committed against Uriah. Repentance is a healing. We should not delay it. Look what happened. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. As a, as a head of the army, he's going to send to give him update. And charged the mes messenger saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall who struck Abimelech and the son of Jarobath? Was it not a woman who, who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebaz? Why did you go near to the wall? Then you shall say your servant Uriah the Hittite died. So what's happening here? The story in the book of Judges, Judges 9, 50 to 57, basically in a, in a common sense, as an army, you would never get so close to a wall of a city. If you get so close to the wall of a city, you are in the range of the arches, the arrows, but also people can take basically stones and hit you. So Joab told the messenger, he told him, look, go give David the report of the war. And tell him that we had people die because we approached the wall so close. And if he asks you, why did you guys do such a silly mistake? Then your answer to him will be that your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Now David lost his, his credibility as a king, as a leader of the army. Many times children in Sunday school, they come and say, Abuna, I see my servants doing these things. I don't know how I can trust them. A servant will stand and teach the kids about reading the Bible and praying that prayer, and they don't do it. We talk about the love of God, and I don't love God. We talk about many things that does not come credible. I remember one of my good friends used to tell me when I'm upset, when he's upset, Yani, he says, I like to turn on any sermons for His Holiness Pope Shenouda. Just hearing his voice gives me peace. The credibility of teaching and talking does not come from knowledge. It comes from a life enjoyed and practiced.
David the prophet who killed people who committed sins and he says I'm, I'm applying the law of God on you when it came to his own life now his army is dying his good men are dying and he can't say anything so the messengers went and came told David all that Joab had sent, sent by him and the messenger said to David surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate the arch is shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead it seemed like the servant that Joab sent he was too scared to give him the news without telling him Uriah is dead because they made that such an obvious silly mistake you just don't do that to come close to the wall so because he was so scared that David would yell at him so immediately he told him Uriah died now the work of God is delayed because of David's sin people are stumbling because of David's sin people cannot fulfill justice because of David's sin it's a situation where now difficult now see what David has to say what is he going to say then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let these things displease you, for the sword devour one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. Such a lame answer. David, instead of giving him instruction as a king and as a leader, he couldn't. He couldn't. Like a messenger, for example, a child... He sees his mom on, on Facebook all day long. And then she tells him, leave your phone. Allah told me to use it. And sometime somebody would tell me, uh, my child now is, is not behaving. If I tell him something, like Masan, for example, like he, he might curse at his, at his mom. And mom tell him, you shouldn't say this. He'd be like, but you curse at us all day long. You lose credibility. We can't expect the people that we're teaching or living with to learn things that we don't practice, don't even to try to practice. So David now could not give, give any answer. See, here is the thing I want to tell you. When, a, when a somebody who's close to God sins, usually their heart will move them immediately to repent. But because David is doing sin after another, after another, after another, his heart became so hardened. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I have seen many people at their best and at their worst. worst. And it's a great difference between this and that. When people are repenting and praying, and those who are, their heart is hardened, they don't care, they want to live life, whatever way it is. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. He was a good husband. He's a loyal man, faithful. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
David, at some point in his life, he's seen miracles. He killed a lion and a bear. He killed the Goliath. He have seen the work. He prophesied when Samuel was alive. Somehow, sin just made him not see anything. That's why we say sin, all what sin destroyed are strong people. Because sin can make people completely blind. But even though David is so powerful, and he's a king, and he's powerful, and he has all these means, yet there is a just God who takes justice to his children. I'll tell you guys, last uh, week, we had His Grace Bishop Tedros pray with us a liturgy. And His Grace was actually in the prison with uh, the Abuna Tedros and Abuna Lua in the time of Anwar al-Sadat. And I was talking to him about the prison. I told him when you entered into the prison, did you ever worry that you, you, know, you might not come out? I mean, the, pr the president at that time, he was healthy, he was alive. There was no, you know, he was just a new president. And we were just chatting a little bit over the prison experience. At that time, Bishop Tedros was in America when the order came to arrest him. So he actually left America immediately and went to Egypt and he kissed the chain in the airport and he entered the prison. He told me, look, the person he ordered us to be in the prison, look where he is now and where we are now after 40 years. They were celebrating the 40 years anniversary of their imprisonment this year. A powerful president, he put people in jail unjustly, and 40 years later, those who were treated unjustly are life-serving, and the one who committed injustice, regardless of his power, is gone. If a person lies to you, and you get upset, don't worry, because he's going to lie to other people. If a person is have certain habits, bad habits in their life, unless they repent, you will find eventually the same sin get back at them. God is just. God is just. He doesn't only take justice in the second coming, he takes a lot on earth. And we will see what happened with David. The beautiful thing about Israel as a nation, by the way, in Tarfin, in ancient time, for example, in Egypt, the emperor was considered, the, the Pharaoh was considered to be divine. He's almost like God. But in Israel, the king was never this way. The king had commandments he must follow, like in Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 20. So David, God gave him some time to repent, did not repent. Gave him some time to feel bad for himself, his sins, did not feel bad for his sins. He goes on. It's been almost a year. He's just moving on, no issue. And God is patient, 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 because God's nature is patient. And God said, okay, enough is enough. Then the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan, this is a prophet to David. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in the city, one rich and one poor. 
Nathan, as a prophet of God, he had access to the king. Remember, a while ago I told you there were three offices in the Old Testament that are very important. The king, the prophet, the priest. The king is like the president, the executive branch. The prophet is like the judges, like the, uh, the Supreme Court, the judicial branch. Okay? And the priest is like the, uh, the Congress. So when the king sent, now Nathan is coming to him. Nathan is going to present him the case. He's going to give him a problem and tell him, David, solve this for me. He told him there was two people, one very, very rich and one very poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little eerie lamb which he, had, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. He's making a, a contrast between a very poor man. He only had a small lamb. He feed it. She sleeps next to him. It's almost like, you know how now people have pets and they give it this, their last name and family last name. It almost felt like a daughter to him. This is exactly what's happening. This, this lamb means so much to him. And this rich man has so much. David had many women. He would marry many women at this point, And he had many children. And he also had, he could marry somebody else if he wanted to. He says, and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herb to prepare one of the wayfaring men who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So that rich man had a visitor, and instead of that rich man taking from all the wealth he has, he decided to go to that poor man lamb that he had and take it from him. And he slaughtered it, and he sacrificed it for his guest. Look what's David's reaction. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this sh shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold to the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. You know, whenever you feel you're very self-righteous and judgmental, remember there's a sin you're hiding. Remember there's a sin that you're hiding. By the way, David the prophet killed somebody, committed adultery. The law for these two sins is death. The parable that Nathan is giving him, the law does not require death. He just took a lamb at the end of the day. And he slaughtered the lamb. But David felt so self-righteous. And he said, wow. You know, like when, uh, when you hear news about somebody who was caught committing something wrong, everybody can feel, can feel the ability to step on them. Look at this, you know, abuser. Look at this person. Everybody talks bad about them. Of course, what they've done is wrong. But what about me? I walk around judging people. David passes a death sentence on the rich man undeservingly just because he got angry then Nathan said to David 
You are the man. Imagine, kiddo, if we hear this word from God. I judge people and say, look at this person. He's too needy. He's too annoying. He's too uh, whatever. He's too cheap. He's this, he's this. And God says, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, and I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wife into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? When we're sinning, we're sinning in front of God. And it is a, an utter rejection of his commandments. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold I will raise up adversary against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do these things before all Israel, before the sun. God is patient, is patient, is patient. Waiting for him to repent. Nothing. God said, okay. You thought I forgot. No, I didn't. That's why it's important when I remember sins of my youth, things, sins I've done in the past, I go confess. Because it is a call from God to remind me. To remind me. The other thing I want to tell you, the size, there is no big sin and a small sin, but there's one thing that's important it is more displeasing to God when somebody who's so close to God sins. He doesn't, when somebody is from far sins, somebody far from God, he doesn't know. He's ignorant. He hasn't tasted. God told him, I gave you the kingdom. I delivered you from Saul. I've given you riches. I've given you health. I've given you intelligence. I've given you degree. I've given you family. I've given you all this stuff. I've given you all that stuff. You have tasted me. You have seen miracles. You have prophesied. You have prayed. You have rejoiced. Wow. It really hurts God. He told him, you des despise the commandment of the Lord. See, with God, he cannot be sneaky. Nathan told him, you killed Uriah. He didn't tell him, oh, you put him in an indirect way. No, 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 you killed him. That's why it's good when we confess. We try to be straightforward with the sin I confess. When I sometimes I don't say the truth. I lied. Sometimes I take things when people are not watching. Or I didn't know if I should take it or not. I stole. This reminds us of 
Pilate, when he washed his hands, he's not an innocent person when he washed his hands. Sin is a sin even if you put flowers on it. It's still a sin. Now David all of a sudden had to come with his own verdicts that he passed it on another person. That's why be careful when you judge another person. When you hear somebody sinning and somebody asks you, what should we do? Be compassionate. Be compassionate. Because we might pass a verdict that we ourselves passing on our own self. Now, we will see that because David has sinned, there is punishment that will happen not only in David's life, but also in the life of his children. And you might tell me, what's the fault of David's children? Why do they have to suffer? First, you guys, I want to tell you a couple of things quick. If you look at the history, look at the story before David. Saul, for example. Saul was a terrible king. Far away from God. Jonathan, his son, was a good man. God did not punish Jonathan because of any of Saul's actions. Eli, the priest, was a good priest. But his children were terrible. God punished Eli because he did not take care of his children. What happens sometimes is David's children themselves, as we're going to see, they are not, many of them were not very well raised. David did not invest time in raising his children properly. Now, when I am going to commit a sin, or you're going to commit a sin, I'm not talking about like, talk about like sin that requires interference of other people killing or stealing or adultery, whatever it is, God could intervene. Like you have the intention, you start taking the actions. It's a fully sin, but God could intervene to prevent it. You're going to go kill somebody and God say, you know what? I don't want this person to die today. Like for example, in September 11, many people somehow all of a sudden, last minute they didn't go to the tower that day or God saved them miraculously. So God can choose, God controls the outcome. God controls the outcome. But God is not forcing David's sin, children to sin. God is not forcing David's children to sin. They were actually, when we see their life later on, we will see how far they were from God. Now, so David said to Nathan, look at this, this is also a beautiful passage. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. See? David committed such a terrible sin. So David said, I have sinned. What did it take for God to forgive him? The next verse, and God put away your sin from you. You shall not die. Repentance is that quick. That easy. 
However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Who is the enemy of the Lord that blaspheme? The devil. The devil will come to God and tell him, these are your children. These are the ones that you are, you are nourishing and giving them gifts and teaching them and giving them the gifts of the Holy Spirit and giving them the Eucharist and giving them the, the baptism and giving them your scripture and giving them a lot of good people around them and giving them and giving them. You start blaspheming against them. The child also who is born of you shall surely die. The child of Bathsheba that was born out of sin because this child is a fruit of sin. Then Nathan departed to his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. David, when Nathan told him about what he did, he immediately repented. Remember Saul, when Samuel used to correct him, he used to say, you know, give excuses. David repented. Especially, it, it's difficult sometimes for people in power and authority to do what David did. But also remember that God did not come to David directly. God came to David through a prophet. And God can come to us through different people, especially my father of confession or my spiritual fathers. Okay? And now God told him, your child shall die, and immediately the child of David became sick. Imagine with me, kid, David, knowing that his child is going to die. Now his child is sick and is going to die. And he knows that he's the reason. I am the reason of this. God forgive him, but he still watches the consequence of his sins. People vape, and they say, I repent. But then you, you mess up your lungs. It will still catch up with you. People, people go and, for example, may, they might and commit a, a, a crime. Like we have seen, for example, with the story of Magdi Yassa, who, who confessed to Abuna Mikhail Ibrahim, co committed a crime. God told him, I forgive you, but you must go and admit to the court that you've committed the crime. You have to confess your sins. So, yes, so, so it's part, part, part of what God is saying is just like you ruined Uriah's house, you will watch your own house being destroyed. And as a, as a, as a, as a father and as a soldier and as a parent, seeing your own child suffering because of you, be much more impactful than you suffering. Okay?
And it's the same story with the children of Bethlehem, for example. Like God allowed them to die when he was born. But there's a difference between dying for a good death. At the end of the day, we're all going to face death. But there's a difference between the way that the, the child is dying. David here sees this as a result of his sin. It's, it's different if David knew that this was just a normal death. And, you know, just he had the child that would just die because he got sick. And he have, he's going to see some of his children die. But it's different that God is revealing to him that this is his punishment. He watches in front of his own eyes. He sees his own, his own mistakes. Now, look what David did. David, therefore, pleaded with the Lord for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So David fasted. He basically slept on the ground, probably in the house of God. So the elders of his house arose and went to him. To raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came, it came to pass that the child died. Then the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. David spent a full week on the ground begging God for changing the judgment of God. David is in a tough position. He can understand that this is his own fault. He's doing everything he knows. Fasting, prayer, on the ground. But God said no. This child is a, the byproduct of sin. The child himself is innocent. But this child is a byproduct of sin. And he's not going to live. Obviously, David, what he's doing is also beautiful and important. That he is putting his suffering and pain in front of God. He didn't say, okay, you know what, the child is going to die you know what, I'm going to move on with my life. He's still praying. And that's the beauty of David when he repents. But after seven days, the servants approached him and they were very worried to tell him that the child died. Look David's reaction. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. It is very hard to pray sometime when you feel God rejected your request already, and when you feel that what you're asking God is something not within His will, even if you want it so badly. But David 
accepted the judgment of God. Once his child died, he went into the house and he started eating. He accepted the, ch the chastisement of the Lord. He submitted to what God says. David did not complain. Many people in his situation can complain and say, you know what? We have been fasting for seven days and I've been on the floor and I've been begging God and I've been doing this and I've been doing that and no response. And God said, this is the consequence already and I will not change my judgment. You know, in some situations in the scripture, you see God changing his opinions, changing his first judgment. Obviously, he's not changing. Everything is in his knowledge. But in this specific case, because God said David what David did, despise the commandment of God. He is a child of God. To sin with such courage and, and, and without any realization, it really displeases God. The, the sin he committed with Bathsheba lasted for how many? One hour? He had to pay for it for a long time. Then his servant said to him, What is that that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me? That the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So David said, I fasted and prayed just to beg the mercies of God. Maybe God will be gracious to me. I think about his prayer while he was laying on the ground. He probably told God, I am so unworthy to ask for anything. But be gracious. And he wept and he cried. But God, no answer, because God wanted to show him and show us all how a sin like this could displease him significantly. Unfortunately, people belittle the sin of lust. And it becomes normal in our daily life. And this sin displeases God significantly. Displeases God significantly. You don't, you won't be able to connect with God as much. Now also David started to reflect on second coming, judgment. He said, I no longer can bring him back, but I shall go to him. He started to reflect on the last days and what's going to happen. And by the way, this is the time when David the prophet wrote Psalm 50, that we pray every prayer. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your great mercy, or thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Against thee, thee only I have sinned, and done what which is evil in thy sight. For thou art justified in thy sentence, and blameless in thy judgment. He told God, what you ordered me, what your judgment is fair. You're blameless. You're justified. What you did is absolutely correct. Even though his son died, he stood in front of God and told him, what you have done is correct. I deserve this. 
This is the consequences of what I have done. And now David spent a time of his life where he truly repented. Truly repented. And understood all the blessings and the privilege he had that he was not aware of. When he fell and God showed him that he can shake it from him in one second, he started to wake up. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. The word Solomon means peace. So after repentance comes peace. When people are worried and anxious constantly, it's a lot of time because of sin. Life after repentance, it pleases God. His relationship with Bathsheba now is now acceptable. And God blessed the child, and God blessed Solomon. And you will see that David will spend more time raising Solomon in a good way. Because when Solomon started his life, he was a holy man. He was a, a holy man. I'm going to be honest with you. When I was reading these two chapters, and because God, the scripture showed us all the details of the sin of David. Like he committed adultery and killed somebody. And you see how quickly God forgave him. It almost seems unreal. I have sinned. Your sins are turned away from you. Next time, he has a child. God blesses him. And things, obviously, he's still going to see some of the consequences of his sins. But still, him able to go to heaven and him able still to enjoy the blessings of God are still there. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedi because of the Lord. The word Jedi means loved by the Lord. So Nathan told him this new baby is loved by God. God will adopt Solomon, even though obviously Solomon is a child of Bathsheba, but now this is after repentance and after corrections and after all of this stuff, David's relationship with God had been restored. Now Joab fought against the against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city and Joab sent messenger to David and said I have fought against Rabbah and I have taken the city's water supply now therefore gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and take it lest I take the city and it called after my name so you guys if you remember now God is almost repairing everything what is the main reason why David sinned he did not go to war now Joab is telling him here's your chance come back to war we're almost, obviously, when you cut the water supply to a city, it means that this city is not going to last for a long time. So they cut into the city, they closed the water supply to the city, told him, look, a few days we're going to be in. So you have to come, otherwise I'm going to claim the city. I mean, Joab is just kind of pushing him to come. Okay, and actually there's some historical excavations that found that there are some cities in this area from even the times of the t uh, as late as 1200 BC, okay? Obviously, you can imagine with me, when David went to claim the city, he was embarrassed because David is used to fight and do all the work to take the credit. Now, this is a time where the army fought, people died because of his own sins, and he's going to take the credit. A bit embarrassing, a bit humbling inside of him. A bit eh, humbling and embarrassing inside of him. 
So David gathered the people together and he went to Rabbah, fought against it and took it. Then he took the king's crown from his head. It weighed was a talent of gold with precious stone and it was set on David's head. Also he brought out, he, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance and he brought out the people who were in and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over to the brickwork. So he did all the so to all the cities of the people of Ammon and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Basically this passage here is just telling us that David is being restored back to the life that he had before sinning. Now he's back to service. Now he's back to war. Now he's getting crowns, the crowns that he used to get when he used to defeat the enemy. Now he's back to him. He's getting a lot of spoil, a lot of gifts, back again to the life that he used to live before. Okay? And this is actually beautiful. By the way, talent is about 30 kilograms or 66 pounds. So this, this crown of gold and jewels was pretty heavy, okay? So this, this was represents kind of the, the, the kingdom being transferred from one person to another. And this closes a chapter of David the prophet where David sinned, repented, started to enjoy the blessing of repentance, but the next few chapters we will continue to see the consequences of his sins in his families and in his life. And that also tells us the important idea that our life, our life has influence on everybody around us. You're not alone. Many homes were changed because of one person. Many churches were changed because of one person. Many decisions were changed because of one person. Many people repented because of one person. Our own life matters. And David, the prophet's action, when he was close to God, the whole nation was repenting and rejoicing. When he committed the sin, he had to pay the price. His children also had to pay the price. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.